Welcome to Chalmers Baptist Temple. Let's all stand and we'll start off with a word of prayer. Brother Trent, would you uh, open us up? Amen. Let's all take your hymnals and turn to hymn number 29.
Right, turn to Matthew chapter number 7, if you would, please. Matthew chapter number 7. <clears throat> In prayer for Pastor Miss Cindy, I uh, went over to uh, spend the night at the farm and then attend the funeral for uh, Mrs. McReynolds tomorrow. And so I'll uh, be in prayer for the service there uh, tomorrow, and there's a visitation tonight as well. And so um, <clears throat> be in prayer for the, the Starbuck family, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully hear some good things from that. And um, <clears throat> so look at Matthew chapter number 7, if you would, please. And uh, we're in verse number 21, verse number 21. It says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye ye that work iniquity. Father, thank you so much for everything that you've given to us. You're, you've given us so many blessings, and uh, Lord, you daily load us with benefits, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, please help us as we look into your word uh, this, uh, this evening. Help us to uh, understand what you have for us. Help us to learn to become more like you, and help us to love you more because of what we've heard. And uh, Lord, I ask you to help me to say those things only that you want me to say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to catch us up, we're uh, almost finished with the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has gone through uh, the main body of his teaching, and now he's going uh, into uh, his conclusion. He's gone into his conclusion from verse uh, 13 through, uh, through 27. It's kind of the ending of the Sermon on the Mount, and what he does in these verses, 13 through 27, is he gives uh, four different choices that those who would be his disciples have to make. And so we find in verse 13 and 14 that, that uh, people need to decide which road, which path they're going to take. Uh, they're going to either take the wide road that leads to destruction, or they're going to take the narrow, the straight, the hard path that leads to life everlasting. And uh, we see then, last week we talked about with the, with the teenagers and youth group, that people are going to have to choose uh, what kind of routes they're going to have. Uh, we find there in verses 15 through 20 uh, that, uh, that Jesus tells them to beware of false prophets. And uh, he tells them to beware of them and, and he warns them. Uh, and these false prophets, just to, just to give us a, a little bit of review here for the teens and to catch us up where we're at for the adults. The, the, these false prophets are people uh, who teach without accuracy. They teach without authority. They teach without authenticity. Uh, either they teach the wrong message, we see that throughout Scripture, examples of people who teach the wrong message uh, and claim to be uh, prophets of God. We see that this numbers of times, uh, Jeremiah calls out a number of them, Ezekiel calls them out, uh, we think about Balaam in the, in the book of Numbers, and, uh, and so we, we, we see examples where uh, these prophets are false prophets because they teach without accuracy, they, te- they teach the wrong thing, they're teaching uh, incorrect doctrine. But we also see that false prophets are false prophets because they teach without authority. And these are people who would come and would give a message, but who are not sent by God. Uh, They claim to be, but they really have no authority. We find examples of this in the book of Judges. And we won't turn to all of these, but uh, just, just... 
just to explain that false prophets teach without accuracy. They teach without authority. But uh, we also find, and this is what Jesus was getting at mainly in these uh, six verses here, 15 through 20, that false prophets are also prophets who teach without authenticity. Uh, And this is this, that they teach the right message, but for the wrong motives. They teach the right message, but without the right lifestyle to back it up. And so we find that uh, Jesus then uses this idea of false prophets to, to tell his disciples that, uh, that, that, that these believers, these disciples, can be false disciples if they live without authenticity. And so uh, last week we, I preached to the teenagers, are you a Christmas tree Christian? And uh, it sounds like a good message, uh, a happy message, but it, it really wasn't. And uh, we find that Christmas tree Christians are these, that they're decorated with Christian symbols, uh, but they don't mean anything. Uh, they're fi- they, they have fake fruit on them that mask the absence of real fruit, right? How many of you put fake fruit or, or uh, dried fruit on your, on your Christmas tree, right? We put uh, dried oranges last year. Uh, why? Because there was no real fruit on them, right? So we put fake fruit to mask the absence of real fruit. And so we find that that's a, that's a characteristic of it. Also, uh, we understand this, that the Christmas tree Christians draw attention to themselves, Right? You're going through a neighborhood during Christmas time and you're looking for two things, Christmas lights and Christmas trees, right? Try to see through people's, through, through people's windows, see who has their trees up, who has them decorated. Why? We look for those because they draw attention to themselves. And how often do Christians do that? Uh, we find ultimately, though, that Christmas tree Christians are cut off from their roots. There's, there's no hope of growth for a Christmas tree. They're dead. There's no way that they can receive life except for the fact that they receive weekly waterings. They come to church once in a while to, to get fed, but in reality there's no root and they're dead. And so uh, that's what we talked about last week. That, and and we asked them, I asked them this, are you a radically authentic disciple? And we closed with this statement. Too many churches are filled with beautiful but dead Christmas trees, but what Jesus desires is the subtle beauty of a fruitful, thriving orchard. That's what Jesus desires. He doesn't desire for a large group of people that look really good but are really dead. What he wants is an orchard full of people who are growing, full of people who are, are connected to the roots, the root of Jesus Christ and uh, those that follow him and, 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 and move after his heart. And so we find that now, as we finish that part, that Jesus now moves to the third choice here uh, of, uh, uh, of his conclusion. And we see here in the verses that we read tonight, this third choice, verse number 21, 22, 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so uh, before we get going too far into it, I do want to mention this, that there's a, there's a rising misunderstanding of verse number 21 here. Uh, people will say, uh, a number of people, and this number of people is growing, that, that people will say that Jesus taught works salvation and that salvation by grace was made up by Paul uh, through his epistles. And we certainly see that Paul preached uh, uh, salvation by grace, don't we? We see that over and over again. Uh, but that's not because Paul made it up. That's because what is what is true is that work salvation doesn't save anybody. And, and so we see that uh, that people, some people claim that Jesus is teaching and advocating for this uh, for this idea. But but even even this, uh, we we find in verse number twenty three that uh, and, and verse number twenty two that people who do good things, some of them won't go into heaven. And so work salvation is not what Jesus is talking about here. And we see many verses where where. 
where Jesus outlines this, that uh, obviously we understand one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and we also find in John chapter number 6 and verse number 40, uh, this, uh, this uh, 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 statement from Jesus. He says, and, and this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. That, that's the will of the Father that we find in verse number 21, right? It says, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, the will of the Father is that everyone would believe. That's what Jesus desires. Uh, he, he hopes that everyone will believe in him. And so in this own passage, Jesus says that people who will do, uh, will do works who will not enter into, the heaven, uh, into heaven after the judgment. And so that, that can't be the case. That Jesus is teaching works salvation here and, and Paul made it up. That's just simply not the case. And, and we, just, we needed to get that right before we go on because it's going to help us a little bit later. So what Jesus is getting at here in these verses, in this third application that he makes in his conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is this. That there will be people who claim the name of Christ who will not be welcomed, will not be welcomed into eternity with God. That's a sobering thought. That's what Jesus presents to us. That there are people who will claim the name of Jesus Christ who will not be with us for eternity in heaven. And we'll, we'll see what, what Jesus means by that. Uh, most people who name the name of Christ will be in the position that Jesus describes here. And that's not to say that most of the people in this church, but I certainly would not be at risk to say that no one in this church would be counted among the many. Uh, I'd be foolish enough to think that. That there are not people in Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple that name the name of Christ, but are in danger of not entering into the kingdom of heaven. I'd be foolish to think that nobody fits that idea. Many people will claim that Jesus uh, will claim Jesus' name and claim to do works in His name. Even uh, look at verse number twenty-two. Many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? Have in in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name have done many wonderful works?" Uh, many people, uh, as the, as we see this, these three these three ideas here, many people will claim that these are kind of the height of religious uh, acts. Uh, pr- uh, making prophecy and, 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 making, uh, uh, and making devils flee and, and to perform miracles. That's what the many wonderful works is, is referencing. That to do miracles, to heal people and to cast out demons and to tell the future by prophecy. Uh, people would say that those are the highest things uh, that, that, that someone could do. And so uh, we'll look at these things in, in detail for just a second. Uh, prophesying in His name. There's, there's two ideas throughout the Scripture about prophecy. Uh, one of them is foretelling. Uh, foretelling the future. And we see this throughout, throughout the Scriptures, that some of the prophets would foretell of Jesus' birth. Right? We think about Micah prophesying of where Jesus would be born, and, and Isaiah prophesying that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And, and those things, they're, what, they're, what are they doing? They're foretelling. They're foretelling the future. What is going to happen uh, that we have not seen yet, that we have not experienced? They, they foretell the future. Uh, but also prophecy in, in the Scripture, and, and more so in the New Testament, but we find the prophecy is also classified as, as forth-telling the gospel. Uh, that's, what, that's what prophecy is, is, is noted as sometimes. And, and so these both are import, very important things. Uh, obviously, we understand that Jesus doesn't necessarily uh, speak through prophetic voices anymore. Uh, but, but we certainly do have people who can and should uh, proclaim the gospel. 
Uh, that's, that's the idea for every believer is that they would proclaim the gospel, that they would prophesy the gospel, if you will, so we can stick with the, with the terminology here, uh, that, 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 is a, that is a responsibility of every believer uh, to prophesy of the name of Jesus Christ, to foretell the gospel. And so this is what Jesus is saying, that many will say in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not told many people about the good news of the gospel? Have we not told, and some people could make this claim back then, have we, not, have, we not, have we not told people the future? Have we not given the message that you've given to us that there are things that are going to happen that have not happened yet? Have we not done this in your name? This is, this is the first claim that these people make. The second claim that they make is that, that they cast out devils in his name. And we see an example of this, if you would, go over to Acts chapter number 19, please. Acts chapter number 19. You see an example of this in the New Testament where people cast out demons in the name of Jesus, but are not followers of Him. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 11. Acts 19 verse number 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Obviously, Paul is not the one that's doing the false prophecy or false miracles, but verse number 12, So that from his body were brought into the sick, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from them. And verse number 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. Now notice how the, how the demons respond to this. Verse number 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? What, am I, what, is, what is Luke getting at here as he records this? Well, these vagabond Jews claimed to be performing exorcisms. They claimed to be casting out demons in the name of Jesus. But these demons had no idea who they were. There was no relationship that these Jews had with God. They were false followers of Jesus Christ. They claimed His name, but their life did not match up with it. And so we find that there are people who will make these claims that they follow Jesus Christ, but... But in reality, their life doesn't match up. And so we find that many will claim that they've prophesied in Jesus' name. And some will, will, will claim that they've cast out demons in Jesus' name. But we also find that, that some will claim that in, in Jesus' name, uh, many wonderful works happened. That there are miracles of healing. We, we don't have to look long to find people that claim to be healers, do we? They're They're everywhere. Uh, and certainly uh, there are some that have been exposed in those ways, but, but, but what is their idea? That they can heal somebody just by claiming Jesus' name. And in reality, we understand that's not how it works. And they, they claim the name of Christ, but there's no power. There's no relationship in, in reality to Jesus Christ. And so these three are referenced by some to be the highest acts of spirituality. But for all the works that these people did, there was not a real relationship with God. For, for everything that they did, for as many people as they told about Christ, as many demons as they claimed to cast out of people, as many miracles as they claimed to perform, there was no relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a single one. Verse number 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
Uh, just as these people would make a claim that they did something in Jesus' name, now Jesus is making a claim against them. Uh, many will say to me in that day, verse number 22, and then Jesus says, then I will profess unto them, or I'm going to say unto you, he's going to make his own claim. And so professing unto them kind of means this. It, it gives the idea of tearing the mask off. These people have a mask that they're wearing, uh, that they, they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they claim to do these things in his name. But as Jesus professes unto them, as he tears the mask off, the reality is revealed that Jesus doesn't really know who they are. There's, there's no relationship there. He says these uh, very, very scary words if we're in the wrong position. I never knew you. I can't imagine hearing that. I can't imagine having to be somebody to hear that. That Jesus Christ, as we stand before Him and as we're judged, I can't imagine hearing those words, I never knew you. But the fact is that some will hear that. Some will hear it. In the New Testament, this word know, uh, I never knew you, is the, is the Greek word gnosko, and it is frequently indi- indicates there's a relation between the person knowing and the object known. And so in this respect, what is known is of value or importance to the one who knows. And so it establishes a relationship. Uh, it's not just that, that Jesus doesn't know his creation. He, he knows his creation. He knows every single person that he's ever created but it goes deeper than that. It's not just knowing in simple knowledge. It's knowing as a relationship. A relationship with God wasn't there. And so what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, depart from me. Depart from me. This is in reality the worst part of eternity in hell or the lake of fire. That's the worst part of it. It's not necessarily the fire uh, that dieth not, the fire that's not quenched or the worm that dies not. It's not the darkness. It's not the torment. The worst part about hell or the lake of fire is that the literal absence of God, something that we take for granted every day, will not be there. That God will not be there. And we don't think about it, but God is always with us. May the Holy Spirit with us. But in hell, there will not be any of that. That God will be absent. He won't be there. And so he, he says, he reveals to us, in the last phrase here, the most important aspect of it. He says, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But I thought that these were people who did a lot of wonderful things in Jesus' name. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said in verse number 22? That the many will say, Lord, have we not prophesied? And have we not cast out demons? And have we not done many wonderful works? But Jesus, as the judge, stands there and he says, Ye that work iniquity. And so, what I'm getting at is this, and what, what Jesus is getting at is this, that they may claim to do mighty works in their ministry, but in their everyday behavior, the works that they do are not good, but they are evil. They speak like angels, but they live like devils. That's, that's the reality of who these people are. It isn't that, it isn't that all those who claim, to, uh, who claim the name of Jesus Christ are, are in danger because, well, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't really know if I know Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not, he's not saying that we can't really know if we know him or we can't really know if he knows us. What he's saying is this, that there are people who will say on one side of their mouth that they are living for Jesus Christ, but in reality, the characteristic of the overarching characteristic of their life is that they are workers of iniquity. They are workers of lawlessness. They are workers of sin. 
Uh, Luke 6, 46 uh, phrases it a little bit differently. He says, it says this, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Because while they may perform random religious acts, the characteristic of, her, of their life is that they don't care and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the difference. This is the true characterization of their life, that they are living a life of lawlessness. And so, this is his invitation to the disciples, right? This is, he, this is who he's talking to, his disciples. So Jesus invites his disciples to live a righteous life that is based on a true relationship to Jesus Christ. That, that's what it's based on. It's not a life of righteousness that's based on our own merit. I, I, I want to do this, and so I think I can do this in my own power. That's not what it's about. It's, it's acts of righteousness, which are good, but they're based on a relationship. They're not just based on our own, what we can get. And, and, and as independent Baptists, most of us have religious acts down pat. It's pretty easy for us to do the things that we're supposed to do. And, and it's not that those things are bad, right? It, it's good to teach a Sunday school lesson or, or preach sermons. It's good to sing the songs that we sing at church. It's good to say the verses when we're supposed to say them. Um, it's good to, to, to show love to your wife or to, to show reverence to your husband. That's, those are biblical things. It's, it's a biblical thing to give to the body of Christ, to tithe and to, and to provide for the church. And it, it's good to do all those things and it's necessary to do all of those things. But while all these things are good, they are all possible without a true love for Jesus Christ. It's possible for me to stand up here and preach messages, and for pastor to stand up and preach messages. It's possible for people to come up and sing songs. It's possible for people to teach Sunday school classes. It's possible for people to, to take up the offering, or to play specials on the piano, or to run the sound booth, or to, do, or to do patch program. It's possible to do all those things without a love for Jesus Christ. It's possible to do that. And when our life is void of a true relationship with Him, in reality, our lives will be characterized by lawlessness. Because doing all the religious acts that we do without a love for Christ doesn't last. Eventually, it'll take us over. Eventually, we'll lose heart. Heart. Eventually, we'll do what is really in our heart, and that is lawlessness and iniquity. When our life is void of true relationship with Him, our life will be characterized by lawlessness. When nobody's looking, your phone isn't used for the Bible app, it's used for pornography. When, when Bible verses are in your Instagram bio, but that's, not, oh, that's only on one of your accounts, right? Uh, when, when, you're, when you're sweet to your wife and loving your wife in, in public, but you neglect her, her needs at home and fail to show her the love that Christ has for the church, or you tell your friends how awesome your husband is, but then you run over him at home and don't have a submissive spirit. You tell your friends all the stats about Patrick Mahomes that you know, but not a single person knows that you believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, you teach kids at church about God, but the kids in your own home only learn about Cinderella and Aladdin on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you don't know the books of the Bible, or maybe you do, but you also have every single lyric to every single Taylor Swift song memorized. On one hand, you're doing the things that you're supposed to do, but if you don't have a relationship with God, all of these other things are possible and you'll be workers of iniquity. The list could go on and on, but at the end of the day, here's the principle. There are many people in this world, and maybe there are people in this very room, that claim the name of Jesus, but live the life of the devil. This seems like I'm being pretty hopeless. 
But there is some hope. Because we have to remember that, the, that this is Jesus' invitation to avoid this outcome at the day of judgment. He, he's, he's hoping that, that they won't be like this. He's hoping that it doesn't turn out this way. So how do we do it? By focusing on loving the Lord Jesus Christ and letting our obedience flow out of that. It's not to say stop singing specials. It's to say sing a special because you love Jesus Christ. It's not to say stop giving, stop tithing, stop giving to missions. But it's saying recognize that you love the work that Jesus has called you to do as a believer. To spread the gospel to every place. And because of that, you can't help but give. You can't help but be involved in evangelizing. You can't help but be involved in telling every person that you know about Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus had in mind when he summarized all of the law and the prophets? In Matthew chapter number 22, I I think it's 22. He said this, Jesus said unto him, the lawyer that came to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And what does he say next? On these hang all of the law and the prophets. We won't take time to go through all 613 of them, but every single law was based on this. Do you love God and do you love your neighbor? It's not to say that all of the law should be forsaken, but it's that the law should be obeyed based on the love that you have for Jesus Christ. That's, That's the end of it. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's he's saying to his disciples, Disciples, will you minister to me and in my name because you love me? Or will you do it in your own power and turn out like Judas Iscariot, who prophesied in Jesus' name, who did many wonderful works, who cast out demons in Jesus' name, and yet at the end of the day, he was a worker of iniquity. We, We see that in the New Testament. And so I want to ask you tonight, Are you a worker of iniquity? Is that how your life is characterized? Or do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And that's why you obey Him. Because it's possible to obey Him without loving Him. But it's impossible to love Him without obeying. Father, thank You so much for for Your Word. Thank You for the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, I ask that, uh, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that that does not love You, but, but claims to follow you and claims to do things in your name. Father, I ask that you would help them that let them that name the Christ, let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity, as Paul wrote to Timothy. Father, help us to love you with everything that we are, and because of the love that we have for you, help us to follow you. Help us to obey you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.